uh, that I think was what really like gender abolition is about. <laughs> yeah. uh, it does require dismantling capitalism, according to my producer. So speaking of uh, producers and capitalism, do we have any advertisements? <laughs> <laughs> I, we've got a bump that I, I recorded here. I didn't have any time like to do any kind of audio. So I was like, this is going to be the most cynical thing. So I was like, that was a heartbreaking story. Here's an ad. <laughs> and do, 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 do. That'll happen. That'll happen. <laughs> Anchor is the easiest way to fly. <laughs> Welcome to the Trans Narrative Podcast. This is Athena Promachus, and I'll be your host today. Uh, we're doing a one-on-one segment with somebody that I'm in a support group uh, with that we want to make sure uh, we, we hear them loud and clear for their story. Uh, we want to give them the time and space to speak clearly. Um, uh, as a very close friend of mine, Maddie, uh, was uh, well, on, on my radar from day one of the situation we'll be speaking about today. Um, and uh, whenever I heard about her situation, just the basic details of it, it seemed like what I'd been afraid of a lot of my life is to be alienated from my children because of the choices of, of my spouse, particularly regarding my gender identity. It's been something that delayed my transition a lot. And whenever I saw that, I, I saw that it felt, uh, you know, it was my place that I needed to be in support in whatever way I can uh, to boost your message to make sure that I'm there and supporting you what I can, even financially or with whatever resources I can provide. Uh, I don't have a lot, but I do want to make sure that my friendship is one of the resources you can count as, as one of your high, high, uh, highest benefits here. Um, so would you like to introduce yourself and tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, uh, et cetera? Uh, sure. <clears throat> I am Maddie. I'm a 40-year-old trans woman. Um, I came out of the closet when I was 38 years old, and I have just started medically transitioning um, the past year. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's uh, great to uh, be your acquaintance and friend, etc. Um, and uh, so you did start transitioning about a year ago, and that's about the time that I started as well. Uh, we were attending the same kind of group, and what had precipitated uh, before transitioning, or what was the situation as far as your household, et cetera? Um, so overall, um, it, I was in an abusive relationship. Um, there was regular threats made to run with my kids or to tell the police um like quote exactly what they need to hear so that i wouldn't be able to see my children um and then i came out <laughs> yeah um and so that was sort of the precipitating event for them that caused that uh fallout where they they had uh contacted the authorities and uh had remove the children from your situation. Uh, so how was that situation at first? Uh, you didn't have many resources to draw upon. Uh, what could uh, you tell for people who might find themselves in a similar situation? What what can you use to help ground yourself to move forward? Well, um, when I, so when I, um, before all this transpired, um, I was a stay-at-home parent to my two kids. I had um, I had a job. I had given that up. I had a, a truck. I had given that up. Um, 
And so when um, my ex um, basically called uh, 911 and lied um, to the police, um, and that didn't work the way she intended it, so then she um, basically took the same lies to the court system and um, got approved for temporary order of protection. When that happened, I was thrown out of the house and I don't have any family in the state. Um, I didn't have a lot of resources. Um, she, because I was a stay at home, an unemployed stay at home parent, um, I didn't have any income. So um, my ex had shut off my phone like the day that uh, this all transpired. And um yeah, I I mean, I when I started out, I really did I didn't have a mode of transportation, I didn't have a job, I didn't have um a phone. I'd had um ten dollars uh to my name. Um and um a duffel bag full of clothes. And I was fortunate enough that I had um friends that allowed me to crash on their love seat. Um, I had friends um, who um, loaned me a phone, Athena, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, I had friends who uh, a friend like fed me for like three, four weeks before I got employment um, and really helped me. I guess the advice that I would have for anyone in similar circumstances is keep going. The only way that you can um, get on the other side is if you just keep going. And really what's at the heart of that, what's driving you is your kids. I, I see so much how, how much you want to be a part of their lives as a, as a stay at home parent. Uh, I've had that role before just to be in every single moment of joy and when they're young and and vulnerable too. Uh, so you definitely want to make sure you can uh, provide a situation, but the situation has become more and more difficult with all of the complications. Now there's court proceedings and things like that. With the intervention of the law, the honest communication between partners doesn't seem like, of course, it's a priority. Um, so what, what uh, what can you tell us about that situation as far as what we're hoping to see as an outcome for you to be reunited with your kids? Um, so the situation I'm in currently, um, for the first six months, um, my ex didn't allow any contact whatsoever with my children. Um, I had asked her every day if I could talk to my kids on the phone, and she just uh, kind of ghosted me um after uh i got so i had um i had a attorney from the um legal services of southwest missouri um approach me in court what i find out afterwards um was that a a member of the court an employee of the court um had contacted her and said, hey, uh, I believe this person is being denied their children based on them being transgender. Um, so this attorney came uh, came to me in court and uh, she told me she could help me. 
Um, she wanted to help me get my kids back, that she thought it was ridiculous that I was being denied access to my children simply because I'm trans. Um, and she really has like really fought for me. She um she went to her bosses and she got them to approve full legal coverage at no cost. Um and she's really been there every step of the way uh since then fighting for me and my children. Um so now we are at a little over nine months. Um, once my attorney got a guardian ad litem and the courts got a guardian ad litem involved, um, my ex started allowing me to FaceTime my children. So um, they've been allowing three month, uh, three days a week um, is where, where I can talk to them. I usually talk to them for about somewhere between five and 10 minutes. Um, and the we have a an emergency custody hearing coming up in april um where the goal is to um really the goal is to get custody um not to take my children away from their mom because i that's not the kind of parent i want to be mm -hmm. um I want them to have a relationship with their mom I want their mom to be in their lives I think that my children deserve both parents. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I'm I'm seeking uh, custody um, is because she has unfortunately made it clear that as long as she has any form of control, she will use that control to prevent um, a relationship with yeah. um, my kids. So, um, Outside of the emergency custody hearing, we have like a, the full uh, custody hearing in September, um, which is, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. a little crazy. Uh, like, because we had, we, upon um, receiving some information, which I can't exactly talk about, um, we had filed for emergen an emergency custody hearing in October, mm -hmm. I believe. And the soonest that we could get an emergency custody hearing um, was in April. Um, so, and then, I mean, in, in October, they had said the soonest we could get an actual hearing for custody was um, the following year in September. Um, so about 11 months away. Mm -hmm. um, and that's extremely unfortunate. Um, but, uh, everybody I've talked to has been in similar situations has said just unfortunately the um, family uh, family court is just that slow it it is uh, yeah family court and law is uh, kind of overlooked there's not a lot of money in in that kind of thing generally speaking domestic disputes generally speaking, are from uh, impoverished families, uh, you know, that can, uh, you know, that can't afford for all sorts of legal fees, things like that. Uh, having a lawyer on your side uh, as an ally in this is obviously one of the best resources you can have to try and restore that relationship with your kids here. Um, of course, we can't necessarily talk about all of the personal tactics or things that have been used against you necessarily. Um, but it has been from a place specifically of, of that bias against your identity 
and uh, can you tell us maybe about how that has developed or or where that uh, disconnect started maybe? Yeah, um, it seems from my perspective um, that being um, somewhat inclined to abuse originally, um, my ex basically is using um, me being transgender as an excuse, um, as an excuse to keep the kids um, from me. Um, and there have been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of misinformation um, that, has, that, that my ex has pushed um, in an effort to make it seem like um, my, uh, me being transgender isn't good for my children. Yeah, and, and that's part of the dispute about like classifying people as who are transgenders as being mentally ill or on the uh, you know DSM. Those things aren't, I feel, really informative to my position with with the hormone treatments and recognition for my identity. I don't need other medications. I don't need other uh, forms of support so much. It, it has enabled me and empowered me, um, and I can assume that you would feel the same in your situation that you feel probably more sane and, and whole uh, or healthy uh, than you have from before. So uh, it seems really unjust, unfair to have this argument, this discussion that's causing this break. And Missouri is not a state yet where being transgender is a reason for courts to impose separation. This is just what people can do under the law already to alienate parents from their children uh, or children from their parents, vice versa. Um, so I think it's important to kind of have the scope of this. It's uh, it's something that's, you know, of course, not easy on any party involved in, but it is something that's uh, confoundingly simple for a person to try and enact. Uh, and then the process to make recovery or, or uh, get rapprochement back becomes more and more entrenched. What tactics have you found helpful to try and reestablish communication? You said at first there was the alienation, no contact with the children, applied some pressure with uh, uh, you know, uh, lawyers and legal help as well. What has worked for you? Um, as far as kind of rebonding with my children, um, I have really, um, made a strong effort kind of seems like an understatement. I have, um, I have basically, um, made it a point to ev take every single minute I can, um, to have communication with my kids to be there and ha and have that communication with my kids. Um, I, I, it's, it's not my place as a parent to try to influence their opinion of their other parent. Um, so I, it, it's always just come, just as a parent, it's always difficult um, trying to communicate the reality of the situation, but in a way that um, a. Doesn't villainize the other party or. 
Yeah, a, that doesn't yeah. villainize the other party that in a, in a way the three and four year old can understand. Yeah. Um, and without without taking away um, optimism from them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, they've my children have said, you know, that they have want they want to come see daddy. They want to come. um uh have a sleepover at daddy's house um and all i can really say is um daddy's really working really hard on on making that happen um because i love you and i want i want to see you and i want to i want you to uh i want to spend time with you yeah but we just can't do that right now you know but daddy's working really hard too um so i mean and and Unfortunately, really, that's all I can do within the, within the um, kind of the confines that I have been somewhat um, forced into. Um, I very much want to bond with my children. I very much want to spend time with them um, and um, have like good quality time with my kids and be the kind of parent that they need um, in their lives and. My kids, I mean, my kids don't care that I'm trans. My kids don't care that I wear makeup, that I, my kids don't care that I um, wear leggings or wear dresses. Um, They just love their daddy and they want their daddy to love them. And that's all that matters. So let's talk about that because it might be a little bit of a disconnect for some people listening that you're okay with the term daddy and still identify as female. Uh, I do the same as well. I feel like for me, the word dad is a role and it's a role that I inhabited for a long time. And the people that I love most who are comfortable with calling me that, I'm okay with them. But they have sort of naturally started transitioning to calling me Athena, but they really haven't gone for mom because that's sort of a jealous kind of title. Um, so I, I, that's kind of one thing you can't really you know, put as like a fight and you can't say other mom or something like that to necessarily put in. I'm comfortable with daddy and, and you feel the comf- the same kind of uh, level of comfortable with that kind of relationship. Yes. Um, I feel like my bond with my children is so natural and it's so strong um, that, um, and I can only speak for myself, but um, for me, it just feels like forcing them or trying to trying to get them to call me something else um just it just seems forced um and that being said um if because i i've heard from other people's experiences that this happens um if later down the road they decide that they are more comfortable calling me mom that's fine too i i'm perfectly fine with that if they want to call me dad for the rest of our lives that's fine as well it's really up to them i'm i'm that me as a parent um i feel like my role is really not to dictate anything to my children it's to just guide them um within the kind of the bounds of who they are as people to um make healthy choices yeah absolutely um, so that kind of division can also cause some problems with how people like raise their children as far as like what our standards are for uh, our children. If our children are supposed to be raised to our standards or if we're supposed to raise them to 
pursue their own happiness. And I think that's where some of the people uh, who want more control uh, start running into those laws about, you know, we have to have these kinds of restrictions for people under 18 or people who even want their kids to have this option to explore have to be penalized. Um, so that's a really harmful uh, a thing to try and put that kind of alienation. Um, the term uh, genocide does refer to the alienation of families, does refer to a separation of people as a group. And uh, from the day that I saw this happen to you, I thought this is really just a part of it. And the fact that the law is involved, even though they're not party according to the letter of the law to uh, participate in this because of your status as transgender, this is already meaning all of the other definitions to qualify for it. And your experience has been uh, harrowing, I'm certain, but it's been inspiring for me to see you pick up and move forward. Uh, to get a place to stay, a job, things like that, to see you. Uh, you post lots of positive TikToks and things like that. Um, so can you tell us a bit about your experiences just trying to maintain, keep happy, and uh, keep that joy in your life? <laughs> um, <laughs> so it has been, um, early on, it was a struggle. I mean, my my there is, for as long as I can remember. I mean, I remember like one of my earliest memories is wanting to be a parent and wanting to have my own family. Mm -hmm. um, so I have always been very like deeply rooted and wanting to um, have my own family, have my own kids. Um, and when um, I was separated from them overnight and, and when it was not allowed contact, it was easily easily the darkest time in my life. Um, I had, again, only speaking from my own experience, um, because I know other people experience, you know, your mileage may vary and all that. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, I had thought that my depression um, it, that came along with um, gender dysphoria was like the going to be like the worst thing that I would ever experience. And, and that this just the alienation for my children just blew it out of the water. Oh, um, so I was fortunate um, in that the um, my lawyer um, who is who works in conjunction with um, the family, uh, the Green County Family Center. Um, they, um, hooked me up with a crisis counselor who was someone I could just, they would call me once a week. We'd talk on the phone for maybe half an hour and I would just voice, you know, what I was going through. And it was really nice having someone, um, there who could tell me like your experience, what you're feeling is normal. Like it's Okay to cry. It's okay. You know, this is what you're going through is hard. Um, and I mean, there, I have to, I've always been a person who has to be optimistic. Um, I found out very early on in my life, like maybe adolescence, um, that, um, negativity doesn't suit me. Negativity is a, um, very much a downward spiral for me so i always try to look on the bright side i always try to um 
if I'm faced with a problem, I always try to focus less on the actual problem and more on the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started, um, I started journaling, like obsessively journaling, like every night. Um, I started a journals to my children, um, to give them when they're, you know, much older, like adults, um, and they can handle the reality of everything. Um, <laughs> And um, there were there were days when it really felt like my life was over. Where like my my family was gone. Um, I was uh, sleeping on a love seat, um, and the only thing that I clung to was that um the only way my life wasn't going to feel like it was over anymore was if i just kept going and and kept going um much like i like i used to go on walks i i, I go on walks um a lot and sometimes i will take paths where i don't know where they lead and sometimes i end up 10 miles outside of my house and i'm tired but i have to go back the only way I could get back to the house is to just keep going. Absolutely. Um, I don't know, like it, it kind of strikes me you talking about like the, uh, you know, uh, disconnection from your children as being like the most traumatic event and kind of part of my experience in coming to accept my transition um, was sort of about like my role as a father for a long time. You know, I was told that there has to be like a strong father figure, a strong male role for people to emulate and things like that. So I held myself onto that to try and keep everybody, you know, in that nuclear family household. And it made me miserable for so long. Um, and I would encourage anyone who uh, wants to explore their gender identity to look at the roles not as a male or female uh, position, but as the caring, nurturing, uh, loving, informative, all, all of those aspects of you don't have to change because of your gender. They change maybe an aspect or you change your perspective on them. And if you have the kind of dysphoria that I had, the hormones themselves kind of make you align more with the emotions you want to have to take care of your family. Do you feel the same way similarly? So, um, I had noticed, well, I mean, so I started, my first week of HRT was, a, was the same week that um, all this transpired. So, I haven't really experienced being on HRT um, with my kids present in my life. But um, before, even before then, um, when I came out and just having that weight lifted off my shoulders, mm-hmm. um, I was a more present parent. I was a more um, emotionally in tune parent. There was so many times um, throughout my life, like uh, just in everyday life where I would just disassociate. I would look for things as a distraction to take me out of my present reality because I wasn't happy with who, with, with who I was, with who I was trying uh, uh, to pretend to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like coming out um, has only made me a better parent. I feel like, um, and even now being on HRT, 
I am outside, compartmentalized outside of the situation with my kids, I am more happy than I have ever been. Um, so I re I feel like the the gender roles as far as parents go is really just society's expectations. It's not really something that is necessary for the kids um, because my my children have shown me um, that they don't care. They 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 it doesn't bother them in the slightest that daddy wears makeup or that daddy paints her nails or that. You know that like they asked that they asked daddy to paint their nails like they say i can't wait to come to daddy's house with so daddy can paint our nails mm -hmm. um they compliment my dresses they compliment my um my hair my makeup i they just that all they want all children want is a parent that loves and accepts them and they don't care what what package that comes in yeah and, and the children who see that uh, most in our society are our future, you know, uh, the, the ones who uh, can, you know, maintain relationships with their parents, uh, don't have to go through separation like that, will have acceptance for us because they'll have our perspective not as being something alien to them. It's all very heavy stuff, I know. It's all all very uh, important. Uh, we kind of do want to make sure we've got uh, the right amount of levity involved as well. Like I say, just to kind of uh, talk about some of your TikToks and, and some of your other uh, ways that you kind of fight and stand up. I, I know you do like uh, some kind of snarky and sarcastic uh, videos occasionally towards people who make snide comments on you. Um, like, is there anything in particular that you get joy out of just kind of cutting somebody for? Um, I, I've always kind of enjoyed being being sarcastic um no and, really <laughs> <laughs> um and um i've always enjoyed talking to people who are different have different um opinions different um viewpoints backgrounds uh, as me um i only tr i try to only get really sarcastic or like snidey um with people who are outright pushing like hate outright bigoted yeah um because there's a certain in my experience um there's a lot of people out there that aren't that are really just kind of between like these dreams where they aren't you know hateful but they aren't like four um they're just kind of they don't know they well, just they, they don't experience they haven't met anyone who's trans they don't um they have maybe misconceptions um from media about what that's like or what that entails mm -hmm. um so there is i try my i try to give people um room um to make honest mistakes to make um you know i don't i don't i feel like it Ultimately, I feel like it does our community a disservice if we were to just attack everyone um, based on based on misinformation. There's, in my opinion, yeah. there's a clear difference between um, people who are downright hateful and people who just don't understand.
Well, I think also there's not a good understanding for some people that there's a safe space to ask certain questions. And TikTok is kind of one of those ways where we're democratizing our access to each other. We're allowing, hey, this part is something about me. And here's a space where you're free to ask questions. And some people can take advantage of that. And, you know, of course, other people who do try and just bully and things like that, that uh, isn't going to, you know, pan out because we can fight back. We've been doing that for years. But I think the more hopeful thing is sort of that outreach, the way that we can integrate with each other and tell our stories. Uh, I know TikTok's in the headlines for like being banned. If you if you had to go without TikTok, do you have any other outlets that you'd uh, be looking for? Or is that something that would be really vital to you? Um, I don't I've I have come to really enjoy um, kind of being um, public about my experience, my, um, my views. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe YouTube, maybe. Um, (laughs) um, It's still a little bit different, right? I I think the ease of access to those questions is probably one of the most powerful tools that we could have as humans, just to be able to ask questions and be able to maybe have a bit of a misunderstanding. Um, But yeah, I think we've been too closed off and some people, especially like the right-wing media call it like a transgender cult it's only a cult because cult means secret like we'd only be able to keep it a cultish thing if you don't let us talk about it and open up the air so if you're trying to close down platforms in which we can communicate we'll find others don't worry we always have always will Um, Um, i mean people people always fear what they don't understand um and ultimately what kind of pushed me um, a friend has suggested um, that I start posting on TikTok um, because they had said with my personality, they thought that I would do fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about it for a while, but what really pushed me to get involved and start posting content um, was I wanted to be what I never had as a child. Um, growing up, I didn't have anything to reference any per any human being um that was transgender that i could relate to um i only had the comments about um being transgender on the internet and what was portrayed in the media which is very very typically misleading yeah yes and- <laughs> um so i wanted to you know i i wanted i started from a place and i'm still at that place where I felt like if I could, if there's just one trans kid who who could see my content and think like that's how I feel, I'm not a you know I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. It's worth it. Absolutely, representation is huge, and we aren't all one kind of person. There are as many you know of us as there are of us, different kinds as we there are of us um so how can we uh, help to address that kind of misrepresentation obviously like being present on tiktok being present in our workplaces is there anything else you'd like to see more voices of transgender people yeah um i feel like everybody i mean everybody has their own battles to fight i know that there i know that not all of us as trans people are able to um, necessarily get them, put themselves out there, or um, push to be as public um, with 
their lives, and that doesn't take away from any of their validity. Um, But I just feel like, realistically, if we just continue as people to live our lives um, and don't, you know, refuse to mute ourselves um, for people that hate us, um, we will eventually, we'll eventually win. We'll eventually um, fully be accepted um, in society. Um, And it's really hard not to feel as a trans person, and I'm sure you probably relate. It's really hard not to feel like somewhat of a, of like an ambassador um, when you run into so many people in in like real life that are like never met somebody like you. What's the deal? You now, and um, I always try to. Um, take that with an open mind and um and take that in kindness and love and um because there's a point being a trans a trans girl there's a point where i didn't know what being trans was like and i didn't know what you know i didn't know the ins and outs of um being transgender so i mean we all start from a place if you, i mean if you don't know you don't know Absolutely. Um, so that that openness, uh, you know, uh, to other people uh, to just be expressing, but also some people say to live in spite of others. You know, if you do come across, uh, you know, uh, bigotry or, or, you know, you persist and that itself is the victory that you have. Uh, obviously, we want to see the victories, though, expand. We want to see you back, uh, you know, in contact with your kids uh, and and further uh, goals like that down the line. Well, let's talk about any other uh, goals you might have beyond that. What would you like to see in your community, like uh, your big goals? If you could uh, have one goal to fight for, uh, for your community in the future, what would that be? Um, right now, I think the biggest goal to fight for is really um i can't say i haven't like looked at any kind of statistics but the way that it feels it feels like it does it with all the anti-trans specifically anti-trans um but also anti-lgbtqia plus um bills that are coming out it feels like on uh, as a trans woman it feels like there's a lot of a lot of people who are silent who um maybe ought to know better <laughs> like ought to yeah. know that the people in their lives aren't monstrous who still support the politicians and things like that right yeah. um who who i hear i mean i hear so many there's so many of us in our community who are speaking out um and i have to believe that that's doing good. I, I believe that that's doing good. Um, being an optimist, um, and I, I know you've heard me say this before, um, I I do feel like ultimately all the bills that are coming out are are a good sign um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, that I feel like because 
10 years ago, there were no bills coming out trying to stop us from transitioning. Um, and it really feels like, to me, like it's, this is more of, we're no longer fighting to be at the table. We already are at the table. This is just um, super conservatives um, throwing a temper tantrum because we're at the table. Um, and I really feel like if we just continue existing, continue living our lives and, and being examples that we are just people like everyone else, um, who have goals, who have families, who have ambitions, um, that it'll, things will get better. Things will work out for all of us. I mean, just despite all the bills, just as far like how far we've come as a community in the past 20 years yeah. you now is has been amazing well i mean let's talk about like say just the so the role of like social media and communication things like that uh you know 20 years ago very much deeply in the closet just got married and all of that about 10 years ago kind of came out for the first time i didn't know how to even access i knew there were some forums online and things like that resources that i used but i never plugged in anywhere then um and then about two years ago uh, on like facebook i started seeing here's where you can get gender affirming therapy <laughs> just right there on like the front page it's like how did that know that about me? <laughs> That's interesting. Um, but like that that kind of role to bypass the barriers that we put in society, like uh, in so social media, we can bypass what we try and restrict from, you know, the legal conversations and things like that. Having all of a sudden all of these advertisements for here's how you become a girl <laughs> or here's how you, you can become a boy. All of that makes the legal people just freak out just flip out absolutely because they can't put restrictions on it fast enough. Uh, do you see that that's a kind of a hopeful sign? There will always be some way to circumvent in that way. Yes. And I mean, I believe that a lot of our progress as fast as it has been over, like, like I said, if you compare 20 years ago to today, as far as the trans community and where we're at in society and, and viewpoints, a lot of it is due to the internet because we are a really small minority and um, we just don't really have, there's not enough of us that we would have enough exposure in everyday life for the majority of people to come across us in everyday life and learn our stories. So things like YouTube, TikTok, and um, social media in general has really helped um, I think a lot of people, you know, see it normalize yeah. being transgender. And it really just kind of takes like the first person standing would say, well, yes, that qualifies as me. I'm transgender. And all of us can kind of go, okay, uh, it's okay. We can all just stand up and say, this is part of my experience. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, there's nothing derogatory about it. If I, uh, you know, address it and things like that, I don't want to be stealth. I think it's one of the most beautiful aspects of myself as being transgender. Um, so yeah, one of my my goals would be to to make sure people are able to see that beauty, uh, that we're able to see you know our our joy and the way we can live our lives without uh, you know the kinds of anxieties that we were put under before, just by restrict you know freeing ourselves from what we thought what we were bound to uh, before. Yeah. 
So how can we work towards that, like even beyond like our lives, just to make sure that our kids can grow up to be whoever they want to be? That's always part of my immense priorities. What can we do to kind of plant the seed for our generations of the future? Um, I really think that we are doing a lot. I mean, we're doing, I think that we're doing um, a lot, like all that we can. I mean, realistically, I think being, being active, um, I'm unfortunately, like I said before, um, most trans people, um, if not all of us are activists because we have no choice but to be for our existence. Um, But I think that comparing it to years ago when when we were this um, this kind of shunned idea, this taboo thing that nobody really, you know, nobody had experience with, nobody saw, nobody, you know, um, when I first realized, when I started to realize that I might be trans, it, I was roughly about 12 to 14 years old. Um, to age myself a little bit, the um, internet had just kind of become mainstream. So I had searched kind of what I was feeling on AOL and um, and none of it was good. None, nothing I read was good. Um, yeah. <laughs> and if that really, that really forced me, that forced me into the closet. Like that really made me, made 14 year old me say, whoa, this is never something I can let people know. Like this yeah. is something I have to hide. And it's, it's interesting to me how things have shifted, like even just within myself, how yeah. I have gone from this is never something I can tell someone, which I, as most of us in our community know, you can't live in the closet. You just, it's, it's just impossible to deny yourself who you are. Like it is so hard. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, like part of it is, like you said, just like that access at first, what we are does involve sexuality, but it's not a sexual thing. It's not a sexual identity. So some people who are trans are uncomfortable with the packing in with the LGBTQ, but it does sort of confuse those other letters a little bit, a little bit on the the roles there. Um, But just number one, like uh, separating just the sexual nature of of uh, what our desires are, things like that uh, is just a huge part of it. And whenever I was growing up, all of the resources that I could find and I was in the church, so I would look through like research materials uh, for what they would have. And it would say, well, keep it in the bedroom, but bring it to your pastor if it gets bigger, things like that. And so I'd follow through the little restrictions and guidelines and like I don't want to I don't want it in the bedroom necessarily. I don't want necessarily this or that, you know, like where where I can't I make the decisions on what happens outside of that? Why can't I make the decisions on how long my hair grows or why can't I make the decisions on what clothes I can wear? Uh, it's so much bigger than the bedroom. I wouldn't ever want to restrict it to just that. It is. And it's very it's because I mean I ran into a lot of that when I was when I was a teenager. And like at speaking from from my myself 
Um, and I don't know if you felt this way too, but um, like puberty is like the most confusing time I have ever been through in my life. My like my the first my first puberty, um, just I didn't know. I like I was trying. I was discovering how I felt as a human being, but then puberty is kind of like throwing a monkey wrench into all that. And, um, and I was, I was, I remember being concerned as, as a young teenager that this, that how I felt was some weird, like sexual perversion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like whenever and, I was going through puberty, I remember when my voice started dropping. And so I, I loved singing in my highest registers as much as I could. And I don't know when it was exactly, but I was, you know, in my teenagers or early preteens or something. And I was out like and singing in my high falsetto voice. And my my brothers looked at me and they went, oh, that sounded really pretty. That sounded really beautiful. And I just got really quiet. And I thought, I can't. I can't do this. You know, this isn't, I, I can't, I can't use that voice anymore. I have to use the uh, other voice. I've got to grow up now. Yes. Um, yeah. It felt really pressured. Yeah. And that happens. I mean, I recall, um, you, you, as for, for me personally, I just, I really started to kind of live out, um, a male stereotype Yeah, and, really push um these unhealthy um views of you know like toxic masculinity of what i should what the person that i was supposed to be instead of the person that i am um and i as as a trans person who has experienced um that personally you know, I'm sure you can relate. It's really, it makes it even more tragic that these bills are affecting trans kids, that they're specifically yeah. going after trans kids that um, I, I'm in this weird spot where on, on, a, on like a super personal level, would it have, would it be great for my well, earlier life, for my young life? Um, had I not gone through male puberty, had I been able to be on puberty blockers and um, transition at a young age? Like, yes, it would have saved me from decades of heartache, yeah. um, but I wouldn't have my kids. And I can't, right. I, I can't regret anything really that led me to my kids i really feel like this is where i'm supposed to be this is how my life was supposed to go even yeah. now fighting for my kids in court um everything is just kind of worked out i mean outside of not being able to see my children um mm -hmm. everything has kind of come together and i really feel like um all my experiences have led up to this moment um but I don't want any, any trans child to have to go through the confusion and the heartache and the depression that comes with along with going through the wrong puberty. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's, I mean, even as an adult, I know 
that if they were to take away hormone replacement therapy, for me, at 40 years old, with all my experience, life experience, it would still be extremely hard for me. It would still put me in a dark place. So doing that to a child who doesn't have the mental tools to be able to cope with that kind of hardship is really, really wrong. It's very confusing and it's very targeted uh, as well. Um, And with the kinds of bans and restrictions just on dress, uh, you know, things like that. Can't wear more than three articles of clothing of the opposite gender, things like that would be very confusing to try and cope with. I know I'd always try and reduce as many feminine affects of my stature by posture, whatever, uh, you know, elements of speech and things like that uh, to make it as masculine as possible so that I don't fall into that category of suspicion even. So I don't want anybody to have to do that kind of tightrope walking, that sort of looking over your shoulder constantly too. Um, uh, So like, obviously we want to uh, provide a place where kids are free to not have that anxiety. Uh, A lot of it is coming down from the very top. Uh, And sometimes we see these bills that are going to be in effect, possibly long-term. Uh, so would you be willing to fight for what we've talked about, you know, that that kind of long-term benefit, even if we can't see that in our state within our lifetimes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, we've come a long way, but we have to make sure that we don't take a big step backwards or several big step backwards. And, and I'd like to remind everyone that just because some bills are passed does not mean we're losing the war. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So like in the long run, I feel that it's just a part of the human experience, Uh, the, um, you know, intersex, intergender, or just gender as an expression of humanity uh, can't be really limited or restricted. It's expressive and expansive enough that it molds itself to our new generations, our new conditions. And we won't just have the two gender genders, or we won't just have you know two genders and non-binary in the future. We'll have as many genders as we really want to classify or clarify for ourselves. Um, so, you know, it, it's definitely important to me that you know we all all uh, uh, can find a way to adequately express uh, ourselves, you know, and make sure that we've got uh, the right tools, the right uh, verbal tools, of course. I I know like whenever I first started to question or explore myself, I had language that was pretty transphobic about myself that I didn't realize until probably much later. Um, So, I mean, trans woman is a label that I'm comfortable with. And, uh, you know, there are all kinds of different menus for genders these days but i I hope that's one that that sticks because i i like the identity itself and i i do find it uh, an impactful one for me um so i just want to make sure uh we've covered some of the lighthearted stuff here as well uh is there uh anything else you'd like to add into the conversation anything else you'd like to have a discussion about that just might be for fun um hmm I mean, I'd like to say that outside of um, custody issues with my children, my transition has been wonderful. My transition has been, it has been so amazing. Um, Being myself 
It is so the the kind of self-discovery that has come um, and the self-acceptance, because like you said, I there was a lot of transphobic thoughts. I think a lot of us, a lot of us who who have a goal to stay in the closet, um, a lot of us kind of force transphobic thoughts um, on ourselves. And that's a tool to keep our sh- keep ourselves in the closet um, through hate and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, there's, there is, in my experience, there's a process when you do come out and you do start accepting yourself where there's still residual transphobia. Mm-hmm. inner transphobia and you have to kind of shed that and that's a painful process but it's necessary and um you know i think that ultimately i don't think that i i don't think we'll see it in our lifetime um but i hope maybe my kids um will see just no genders just just people Thanks for the Thank time, you. Maddie. You have a great day. Have a great week. You as well. Might see you tonight. Awesome. <laughs> Bye. Uh, you know, and just being kinder to ourselves through that process of learning and discovering and, you know, trying to use nonviolent language and non-blaming language in talking about our past selves. We all did the best we could with the resources we had in the past. Right. We just now have better tools and better resources to become kinder and more human to each other. We aren't, you know, becoming transhumanist in ways that strip away our humanity, but to further and develop the truth and beauty of it. Yeah, so I, I we just kind of want to see like a, a future in which gender isn't a restrictive role, but an expressive role is what I think I might say. That I think was what really like gender abolition is about. <laughs> hey everyone, if you liked this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on March 25th, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was co-hosted by Athena Kramakis. Today's guest was Maddie, last name redacted for safety. This episode was edited and produced by Caroline Penny. Developed by Caroline Penny in conjunction with Lucy Bazzano and Athena Permakis. Research provided by Athena Permakis. Music provided by Infraction Music titled Good Vibe. Capturing Narrative Segment and the music you hear now are brought to you by Athena Permakis. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Anchor, now known as Podcasters for Spotify, the easiest way to upload a podcast. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscription for exclusive content available at anchor.fm slash transnarrative. Episodes stream three times a week, Saturdays, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you'd like to reach out to learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show or your community, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.